We'll get you HQ on Riverside Avenue and chill and react. Oh. This Steven. is Nice Games Club! <laughs> From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in chill and relaxed Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we welcome Marina Kataka, developer of, uh, developer of the game Anodyne 2, to the clubhouse to discuss nostalgia and the lo-fi aesthetic. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. You made it almost all the way through that intro, Steve. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> it's a running thing, I think. Whenever we do an interview episode, I do the intro, and I always get it wrong at least one time. <laughs> I guess you'll hear the... the this is the excuse he tells everybody. <laughs> yeah, right, yes. I definitely... It's, but it is it's because of me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so it's, nervous. It's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like when I do, when we do the roundtables, I do it just fine. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I get, I guess I get nervous around people. I don't know. <laughs> well, welcome on the show. Yeah, thank you. Hello, thanks for having me. We often see you sitting outside while we're <laughs> we're podcasting and you're drawing stuff. And it's- yes, I have been around mm-hmm. this past several Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You've been working really hard on your game, right? Yeah. Just about finishing up. Cool. So wow. exciting. Anodyne 2 is coming out soon. Oh, man. Remember, I played I played that a lot at, at GlitchCon, the last GlitchCon. I was, you said that nobody else had like played through it the whole time or something? Well. Or maybe because yeah. there were so many other games. It was there. it was pretty long, too. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just did, I just stood there for 45 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to get through this. <laughs> it's really fun, though. Thank oh, you. It's great. I really like um, the aesthetic. While I was playing it, I immediately was like, this is like PlayStation game. Yeah. So I, and you told me that. So like, I'm glad I picked up on that. <laughs> I think you're doing a good job uh, getting getting that aesthetic feel. Thank you. How did how did you get to that idea to make to make a PlayStation esque game visually? Well, I think um, a lot of it had to do with after our past two games. Those were all 2D and okay. um, like pixel art or digital painting. And um, in between our second and third game, uh, Sean, who I collaborate with. Did a like a little small solo project that was a 3D game. Okay. And kind of got to know Unity 3D workflow and created some really nice aesthetics. Like, and he's not primarily an artist at all, but he did like the art for that game. Oh. And so it was like a cool and kind of inspiring direction that we thought was very fertile for one of our collaboration games. And cool. Yeah. So that's kind of how we got down that path. Okay, cool. Uh, what what game was that? That that small game. Yeah, Sean made a game called All Our Asias. It All Our Asias is um, it actually has some kind of like overlap in terms of the structure of Anodyne Two, where it's kind of about this main character is his father is like dying, I think, and he's going kind of like into his memories and like exploring his father's memories who he's estranged from oh, okay. and learning about, I don't know, it kind of like takes place in Chicago and has to do with Asian American identity and community. Cool. That's awesome. And it does sound uh, similar to how Anodyne 2 works. Yeah. The kind of like exploring someone's mind sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, uh, like I was saying, I really like that, like that PlayStation feel, um, uh, is there, are there like other um, games I think that like that you were like inspired from that 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 this came from other than the the ones you were talking about before, that you had developed? I I grew up with 
like a PlayStation and PlayStation 2. Yeah, cool. Um, and so those are probably the primary things. There are other people who are, are starting to like do uh, low poly 3D kind of lo-fi games. Did, did you recently. play Gex? I didn't play Gex. Ah, that's okay. that's Steve, okay. Steven thinks it's time for Gex. <laughs> time for Gex. <laughs> I, I had a lot of Crash Bandicoot games. Yeah, yeah. Um, Classic. Yeah. There's the, the low poly style has been um, had a bit of a comeback mm-hmm. in uh, just in art art aesthetics. You'd see it on Twitter and on Tumblr and stuff. Yeah, and it would appear in games as well, indie games. But the specific like PlayStation aesthetic, mm-hmm. which is a different kind of low poly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is just now coming because it, it's era of nostalgia. We've reached it now, uh-huh. yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> and so it's. I mean, you're sort of very early on in this. Before I think, before people are going to start, before a lot of the conventions of the of that of the comeback are established mm. so you get to you get to establish a lot of them for yourself mm. right yeah yeah that's kind of true yeah a lot of the like low poly art that was like popular several years ago it was like um a very like flat kind of colors and stuff yeah. like that mm-hmm. and very stylized in that sort of way and it's a very different aesthetic than the kind of chunky textury look yeah that, that comes across I'm a, when I when I see Anodyne though I think of like Final Fantasy Seven characters. Mm, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. They have like the the blocky arms, forearms, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. <sighs> Do you have to put constraints on yourself? For I think a lot of pixel artists have this issue where they have to like um, decide how much of it is uh, tools and technique versus how much of it is aesthetic. So obviously, you have the ability to use higher resolution textures. Um, do you, do you put rules in place and do you break those rules sometimes? And if so, when? Yeah. So I think the, the way that we go about like having this like PlayStation aesthetic, it's, it's like something that we think about, but not something that is like a huge goal in terms of actual technical constraints. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, it's more that like, because these things were, were a part of like influences to us that it kind of just naturally comes out. And yeah, I I really don't I really don't know that much or like <laughs> about the like technical constraints. Mm-hmm. And for us, one of the main things that I wanted to talk about in terms of this topic was yeah. like what lo-fi can kind of mean to different people. Mm-hmm. And for us, it very much means like a personal thing based on like what random things you happen to know and like random influences you happen to have and like cobbling something together that is lo-fi to you in terms of taking advantage of just like the scrappy skills that you can kind of pull together. Oh yeah. Um, and not spending too much time on it sort of. Um, and so like, that's kind of like the lo-fi that is exciting to us is this idea of like very specific to you based on your own limitations as like an artist. Yeah. Um, finding something that's like fast to develop and like kind of unique in a way. Yeah. I mean, that sounds very similar to how a lot of pixel artists, at least uh, like the resurgence came about was because um, a lot of the game developers didn't maybe have a lot of uh, traditional art skills, but like they knew pixel games and they, they and pixel games comparatively are easier to uh, jump into if you don't have that original art style or uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it sounds very similar to like how a lot of how pixel art came back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's like different kinds of like, schools or sort of threads of like pixel artists and i think some some threads go into it in a very like pixel art is everything sort of way and like <laughs> very very like detailed and like 
almost like striving for this sort of idea of like perfecting the form. Um, And like, I I definitely like was aware of like some of those people doing that sorts of thing when I was growing up. Yeah. That's like not really the way that I approach it. It's more from like, I don't know, using one's peculiarities as to create something unique. Yeah. That's awesome. We we preach that on the show all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you you said that like you're, this game is influenced a lot by like nostalgia for the past. And mm-hmm. how do you design the game uh, in that way that like brings up feelings of nostalgia? Like when I was playing the game, I, I immediately was, I felt like I was playing a PlayStation game in a good way. Um, um, so I want to know how like you came across that idea. And I guess like, yeah, how, how your game lends itself to that. When we think about like nostalgia in our games, it's mm-hmm. not something that, we super actively set out to invoke in the player. I think it's like a natural uh, thing that happens when we have a sort of like shared sort of zeitgeist or whatever that we're a part of Okay. Um, with other people who have like maybe like had similar experiences or played certain of the same games. It's something that kind of like comes out naturally. Um, and so I think we try to like play with that. Yeah, like in our first game, Anodyne, which we're creating the sequel to right now, we play a lot with the idea of like nostalgia and it's kind of about like escapism in a lot of ways. And so the fact that the game is nostalgic is something that we like plays into the themes in like both sort of positive and negative ways. Um, so what what are the negative ways that the, the nostalgia has affected the game, do you think? Um well, I guess not so much negative in that the nostalgia is bad, okay. but just in terms of um, in the story of Anodyne 1, the the protagonist kind of, you're sort of exploring the subconscious of the protagonist and they have like a complicated relationship, I think, to video games and like the idea of like fantasy in general oh, and okay. it being like, positive in certain ways and negative in certain ways in terms of like escapism. And um, so having it feel nostalgic from us working out of things that we experienced growing up can kind of like accentuate those themes for people who have that shared experience. Sure. Sure. I I suppose. Yeah. Like you were saying, I guess that like the negative aspects is really more like the relationship you have with your past experiences um, can be good or bad. And yeah, you explore that in a way that that works with uh, you explore that in the character of Anodyne. Yeah. So developing the sequel, how does uh, other than that sort of inspiration of that smaller game, um, narratively as as a sequel, conceptually, how'd you get started? How, how what was the beginnings of this this project? So the beginning of this project was what was it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what happens a lot of the time is that we, for our, for like our second and third games, a lot of the time what happens is there will be sort of a narrative that we accumulate based on like reviews and player feedback of like what our previous game sort of was and certain strengths and weaknesses. And so I think a lot of the time, what we end up doing consciously or not is like creating a sort of response to that or trying to like, like if we think a certain criticism is valid to like 
swing in the other direction for mm-hmm. the next game mm-hmm. or just like see if we can or see what that leads to. Um, I think for our second game, even the ocean, um, one of the, one of the like sort of self critiques that we had was that maybe it didn't really, it, it lacked the sort of like radical imagination to like, it kind of depicts a world that is sort of declining and Mm -hmm. has a lot of problems and sort of like explores what it feels like to like live in that kind of world and, um, you know, have friendships and relationships with people and under that kind of like pressure. But yeah, I feel like when we were writing it, it was hard for us to like have a, have a like radical imagination of like where to go from there. Sure. And, um, so that's definitely something that we wanted to do differently in um, Anodyne 2 and to have sort of more of a next steps after the kind of, I don't know, apocalyptic feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it also came out of just, it, it was kind of a fusion of little like solo projects and prototypes that Sean and I worked on. Um, by ourselves uh, in the time after we worked on Even the Ocean. And so Sean, uh, as I mentioned, was working on All Our Asias, um, and that kind of inspired some of the 3D stuff and sort of structure of the game. And then I was working on a little prototype of like a scale-shifting 2D game, Oh, and that was like pixel art. And I really liked it, but I'm not that good at programming, so I was kind of stuck basically. But basically, you had a little tiny character and they could shift between three different sizes. And like okay. the smallest was like a little like two by four pixel block. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then you could double in size and then like double in size again. Um, and so, or like maybe, oh, you, I think you quadruple in size each time. Oh. Okay. And so it's like 16 pixels tall and then like, uh, 64 or something like that. Yeah. And the camera would like zoom out and different things like you could like go into like a tiny hole that just like looks like part of the design of the environment when you're bigger, mm-hmm. but it's actually like a tunnel when you're small. Oh. Or you, there's these arrows that got shot out of the walls and they hurt you when you're the medium size, but you can jump on them when you're the tiny size and climb on them. Oh, cool. So there are different little ideas like that. Um, and that was kind of where some of the scale shifting ideas for Anodyne 2 came in. So in Anodyne 2, originally it was going to be three sizes, mm-hmm. but what it ended up being was that the largest size got replaced with you turn into a car. <laughs> uh, oh, <yeah>. Awesome. We kind of, I, I'm really into, I really liked the idea that like, the world uh, of making a world that is a little bit less shaped for you or yeah. it feels less shaped for you. Mm-hmm. And it's more like, Oh, there could be like a huge empty space here. And like, you just have to like go through it. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, like rather than like everything is like exactly based around your exact sort of abilities. Mm-hmm. And so part of 
so the original idea was that you were gonna like turn into like a giant <laughs> and like you could like walk faster across a big field. But that was really tricky <laughs> to like get it to work well. So car and then <laughs> the tiny version um, is actually the part of the game where it goes into like a 2D pixel art. Um, so those are the sort of three scales in Anodyne 2 is the car, the person walking around and then tiny pixel art zones. I, th I think that's that's really, awesome. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating that like you're approaching the the level design in a way that is more like architecture than than level design. Because yeah, you're right. Traditionally, when you build a level, you build it specifically for the character for the player. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in this case, you're you're building a world the players just inhabit. They happen to inhabit. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Sean has. Uh, over the past several years, taken a lot of interest in like architecture, okay, and like takes a lot of cool photos, um, and finds really good like reference imagery for me to work from. Um, so that's a really cool thing that he brings to our collaborations because I'm very much more. Um, I've done a lot of drawing from nature, mm. and so like that's way more natural for me to just be like cool trees, cool rocks. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, but like working in 3D, um, it's really wonderful actually to work with architecture because oh. like that's what architecture is. It's 3D and it's like a space that you inhabit. Yeah. And in our previous games, like it never really mattered. Like there wasn't a lot of like really architect, like interesting architecture because it's very different in 2D games. Mm -hmm. And like even the ocean was a side scroller. And whenever I had to make like a building for that, I was like, ugh. What a chore. Because, <laughs> because it like it doesn't feel like being in architecture mm -hmm. to like side scroll through it. I mean, I'm sure some people can do that, but it was very hard for me. <laughs> sure. It's like the just the facades. You don't yeah. get any of the actual depth that a building can have for like mm -hmm. yeah. designing the spaces. Well, it's hard to make it feel like a real place if it's not something the character can interact with. It's just scenery. Yeah. Well, then they get like um in West of Loathing where you can go behind the flat things and mm -hmm. it turns out they are just yeah you know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah so that was a very kind of pleasant surprise in working in 3d of being like oh like now buildings are interesting mm -hmm. um, because they like feel like spaces and that's like what's exciting when there's vastly different scales or interesting angles in the shapes yeah yeah i, I hadn't considered it in that way that like 3D opens up the space in that way. Because I guess I've only worked in 2D before. Mm. You've described in the past you're not interested so much in working in 3D. I, I, I've it doesn't excite you. Yeah, I, I mean, I've dabbled in it, but like, uh, I don't know, right? At least right now, I don't know like what I can do with it that would be interesting for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, it doesn't excite me, I guess. But like, you've, you've come up with a way that works for you. That's good. Well, you're de describing it as a as a space. It's like a that you can arrive. That's what excites me because yeah. I'm extremely interested in in space and environment, mm -hmm. uh, even in in two D games. And so that's that's the hook that'll get me there um, to work in a, on a big three D project. I'm unprepared for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, like we, I feel like we used to say like Sean and I used to be like. Like, we're just going to, like, keep making 2D games. Like, why would we make 3D games? That's, like, a whole different thing. Um, 
But I don't know. Now that we're doing it, it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. So, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> like, what were you so afraid of? <laughs> yeah. Or like, there's so much good stuff here to mm-hmm. like work with. Cool. Um, so maybe you'll be surprised one day. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe I should just jump into it. I mean, I experimented a little bit with a game jam, but I could maybe do more. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what program are you using to build your models and things? Though? I use Blender. Blender. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just used to that. Yeah. I mean. I mean, yeah, it's it's nice that it's free, mm-hmm. so that, that helps, helps me yeah. make stuff. Um, and yeah, there's like a lot of tutorials and resources mm-hmm. um, from just like people, and that makes a huge difference because being able to like just like look at someone doing something in a very complicated interface is like okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. I can just do that right away. I feel that way about Unity. Like we've talked about on the show before all the frustrations we have with Unity. <laughs> yeah. And how like there's a part of me that legit hates everything about Unity. <laughs> but there are so many people who use it yeah. who are so free with their knowledge and excited to share yeah. and interested in, you know, the back and forth of that that it makes it really a very pleasant experience to work in mm-hmm. because of that. And I and so I, I can imagine Blender is very similar where you have people who feel like oh this is enormous tool where do i start and then you start with the people who who previously started there and it it's just you know share and share alike you know i i've tried to like learn 3d modeling and animation like a few different times yeah throughout my life since like high school and i feel like i basically continued to like bounce off of it as something that's just too complicated um but then, like, each time I come back, I, like, vaguely remember, like, my fingers remember touching a certain key. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that does something. And so, like, I'm not starting from, like, zero. I'm starting from, like, point one. Yeah. Time, yeah. Point two. And now starting from, like, point three, it, like, worked out. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, because I keep, I keep on trying to experiment with 3D modeling and stuff. And, and I have bounced off of it several times myself. Yeah. Um, I guess just keep trying. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked about this on the show before, but one of the things that helps you learn a new thing is uh, you need it for something. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah you you decided this was the aesthetic you were going for mm-hmm. and you felt confident enough to give it a shot. Yeah. And then you were committed. Yeah. So you had to, and then you'd be surprised how easy, how smart you are. You feel like. <laughs> <right? laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I think Sean kind of inspired me, like not being an artist, but like making a 3D game. I was like, oh, like, I can probably figure this out too. <laughs> if he could do it, right? <laughs> Sean is very smart though and good at learning stuff. So <laughs> So the the you know, you were describing for this lo-fi aesthetic, this notion of like what is nostalgic to you. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's actually a benefit to being at your stage of learning like the 3D modeling animation, rigging, texturing, all of that stuff. In in the sense that like it is sort of new to you, and so you're aiming for a look but you don't have exactly the, the checklist to get there or the muscle memory to achieve it, it feels like an excellent way to do a project like this. Have yeah. you felt that or has it been frustrating? Yeah, no, I mean, that is kind of like what, yeah, that is kind of like what we're talking about is like using one's limitations. And I think that definitely comes out in the game. Um, a lot of things are like, there's like weird rough edges where I didn't like know how to do something yet. Um and the the art style of the game, I think, shifts as it goes on and like mm. becomes refined in different ways. It's a little hard sometimes, but I'm still trying to like value and like look at the earlier things that I made as like, oh yeah, like that's like an important part of what the game means and kind of like plays into kind of thematically what it is and 
Yeah. You're That's embedding its own history. Whereas yeah. I think the instinct for a lot of us is to go back to those early parts and polish them up as we go. Yeah. And I, I imagine you are doing that to a, to a degree. Yeah, but it seems like bit. there's a different motivation and a lot of that comes from the nature of this project, mm -hmm. not just the form it's taking. Yeah. Cool. It like shapes, it shapes itself as you develop it. That's how games work, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one thing I have noticed a lot is that um, early on... I didn't want to like spend much time on textures and I like wasn't sure how to like stylize the textures in the mm -hmm. way that I wanted to. And I used a lot, I relied a lot more on like normal maps with like shiny light stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, there were definitely some people who were like, don't do that. It doesn't look like PlayStation. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just do this. <laughs> and, and then like, over time, I kind of got better at doing textures or like I like got like a style that I was satisfied with. And then like I turned the shininess down on everything. Well, uh, on all the new things, but I liked <laughs> it on the old things because they're totally like structured around that. And so I was like, you were right, but also, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. Also, no. <laughs> <laughs> but also you'll do what you want. Thank you very much. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so I know that your game has, um, like, you can inhabit the uh, character's memories and stuff, and you go into like a two five or two five two D <laughs> aesthetic. Two five two furious. Two five. <laughs> yes. Um, um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how 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 that mechanic came into fruition? You said that like you went you were experimenting with the three different scales and things, and yeah. that came about as a result. But like, how yeah. did you come up to uh, exploring people's memories? Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of different um, in terms of like switching to 2D than the like two than the three scale game, which was all kind of similar. Um, and a big part of that was that it's it was it's really hard to do tight and interesting puzzles in 3D. Mm -hmm. It's just like a lot more work, I think. <laughs> um, the way that I like to design puzzles a lot of the time is very like. I don't know, little like Zelda-y sort of grid-based things mm -hmm. um, that are that are based on like positioning and tiles and stuff like that. Sure. And so it's just very natural to make them in like tile-based art um, because it's it's very like form and function kind of meshing. Um, and so because that felt very natural to us, and because like the first Anodyne game is like two D mm -hmm. tile-based pixel art. Um, that was a big reason why we made those, um, shrunken sections 2D. Cause that's where like almost all the like puzzles and like all of the like combat in the game is in 2D. Mm -hmm. And then 3D, it was very much about like playing to the thing's strengths so that we wouldn't have to do more work trying to like force it sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in, in, the 3D, like what that brought was making exploration feel very natural mm -hmm. in a way that we really struggled with in even the ocean being like a side scroller. It's like, unless you do, so like when you think of like exploration in side scrolling, it tends to be very like Castlevania and Metroid are like these sort of tunnel-y rooms. Yeah. Um, and that's like how you create exploration. But like we didn't really go that route super much with even the ocean. And so like the exploration was a little bit stiff. 
-hmm. And with 3D, you can just like make a space and like throw a few things in, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, interesting. You can like, <laughs> look around the tree or like do it's like instantly interesting. Yeah. And so we were like, perfect. Mm -hmm. We'll do all the exploration in 3D and then all of the like puzzles in combat in 2D. Oh. And it just made everything a lot easier. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it's like playing to the strengths of each mm -hmm. uh, medium. Yeah, basically, it feels like cheating almost. Like, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, what it, I mean, it's good design too because you have the the player has an expectation and an understanding, but you still allow them in exploration space and in puzzle space to be faced with the unknown and be confused and be challenged, but through systems you built rather than just what do I do now. Which yeah. is what I think a lot of open world games are for people. Like, where's the trigger point for the gameplay part now that I've explored here? Mm. And so you've made those, you've defined them much more and, and it is more efficient. Yeah. But also I think it's a, it's a cleaner design. Like there's a real value to that, I think. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to know more about like uh, the, the memories idea. Yeah. Okay. Kind of yeah. like narratively as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that kind of come from? So it came from the, the overall story has to do with this idea of uh, you're called the nano cleaner and um, you sort of work for this mysterious entity that is like kind of the creator of this world that you live in. Um, and that entity is called the center. And so the game starts with you kind of being born. And so it's kind of about childhood and about like uh, being embedded into a certain um, like having this place in society that you hold or this job and the like pressure of that and what happens when you like meet people or face circumstances that cause you to like question like everything that you've sort of known. Oh, okay. Um, and so the, that, I'm not sure where exactly that came from. Part of, part of it was the dust, which was carried over from Anodyne one. Mm -hmm. Um, although it's a little different, but like in Anodyne one, um, we kind of like did this play on the like fantasy hero. And instead of a sword, you have a broom oh. and you move around little piles of dust and solve puzzles with that. Oh, cool. And it was kind of like this general sort of metaphor of like, um, you know, psychic cleaning sort of, um, and so it, it very much is like based off of that idea in, in Anodyne 2, where it's almost like the thing that you were doing in Anodyne 1, you're doing, but to like a bunch of different characters throughout a world. Ah, okay. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. And uh, yeah, once we had the like 2D and 3D idea, it felt very natural to make the 2D areas kind of like a little themed zone based on the characters. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's clever. And, and, and I uh, remember you were saying that Anna, the first Anodyne was about like exploring your own memories and your own nostalgia. So this one is exploring other people's nostalgias and helping them resolve their issues um, by using that information, their memories. Because um, I remember I was doing that when I was playing the game before. Yeah, yeah, yeah you played through <laughs> se several of the people who... We're seeking cleaning. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I like because um, I, I felt like I was invested in the characters in a way that um, that 
don't normally get invested in characters in games. Mm, so I think you did a good you. job with that. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool. And doing that through environment and puzzle mechanics rather than, you know, just, just like visual novelty stuff yeah. exclusively, right? That's just, probably why I get into it more. <laughs> 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 that's, yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. Um, so I have a question. Yeah. In, in 10 years, uh-huh. what games do you think people will feel nostalgia for? <laughs> um, well, let's see. <laughs> the ones that are 10 years out after the ones that they feel nostalgia for now. Okay. <laughs> she's, got, she's got you there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been had. I mean, yeah, I don't know, like... I guess, like, what what types of games specifically? Like, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel a lot of nostalgia for like three D three D platformers, mm-hmm. especially like because there's not they, they don't really make games like uh, Crash Bandicoot and stuff anymore. So like, I bought the the three pack or whatever and played that, and I was like, oh, uh, this yeah. is, I remember this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I'm wondering, like, uh, like I don't know, my my cousin, she's I think she's 11 right now. Uh-huh. She, she plays games a lot. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what games in 10 years she'll be like. Oh yeah, I remember playing that game. That was fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like Minecraft. <laughs> oh yeah, it's probably Minecraft. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so funny because Minecraft is like is a lo-fi thing, mm-hmm. and so it's like it's nostalgia for a thing. That you didn't even like realize was nostalgia when you were a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was already nostalgia, so double nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's a hard question to answer, not only because it requires some forecasting, yeah, um, <laughs> but but also as it games as a medium matures, mm-hmm. there is less of the three types of games from ten years ago. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. It becomes yeah. more about the sort of the tools and the methods and the trends that mm-hmm. change and evolve, mm-hmm. rather than like. Oh, the seventies had like, you know, arcade style vector shooters and the eighties had platformers and beat 'em ups. And yeah. the nineties had three D platforms and a fighting games renaissance and mm-hmm. the two thousands had PS two uh narrative action game. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it like there's always gonna be something like that and maybe we're not gonna be able to peg what it is that people attach to. Yeah. Whether it's the most popular of the era or the ones that are unique to this era. Right, because there's a bunch of things now that like now that the 90s are back, like, oh, that was a, th- like, I remember that being mm-hmm. a thing, but if I was going to pick out what things would have survived and people would remember, that would not be the thing I would have, yeah. uh-huh. I would have predicted. Yeah, <laughs> I would have thought that, like, 90s, early 90s racing games would be, there'd be more nostalgia for that, mm. because I because that feels so specific to that era, but not as much as other types of 90s things, so it's hard to, it's hard to predict. Yeah. And it's dependent on what's popular now because that's the lens we see through it yeah so either something that's a contrast to it or or is a or it reflects well on it on on our choices today or whatever um but also i mean you were saying the you're making a game that's nostalgia for you personally Mm -hmm. so you probably don't care that much about what's actually (laughs) nostalgia for most people now yeah that's not really of your interest it seems yeah i mean i don't really know also (laughs) i think like games like triple a games like a lot of them have been sort of just vaguely realistic for like a really long time whereas there used to be like a lot more i don't know the like trend towards realism has like a natural kind of falling off in terms of Mm -hmm. large leaps and so there aren't as it's like not inherently as distinctive in terms of what is like possible yeah yeah 
Although I have to say, to that point, there's always a little bit of us being trapped in the present because when I was playing Goldeneye as a teenager, uh-huh. I remember thinking like, wow, that really looks like Pierce Brosnan's face. <laughs> like, I, uh, you know, I wasn't fooled into thinking it was like super high res or really great. Right. But I looked at that visual representation and I'm like, that's pretty realistic. Mm. Yeah. And it was all based on what, you know, how would I compared it to of the era. Right. right? Yeah. So uh, who knows? And, and I, that's why that, that PlayStation N64 aesthetic for, for me as someone in my mid 30s, I'm surprised at the nostalgia for that because to me that is part of the thi- of the history of things being r- vaguely realistic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? It doesn't feel to me, even though it's very obviously objectively clunky and old and has an aesthetic. Yeah, uh, I was a little bit surprised that that was coming back, and it makes a lot of sense now that it's here. But it, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So who's to say? Yeah. Right. People yeah. going for like 360 yeah, action yeah. games that Just we all like. What's makes different about them? Very shiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> That's what I did at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I will just make things shiny. Yeah. People will like them. We'll have nostalgia for PS3 tech demos or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there anything that you wish we would have asked you? Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've, it's It's been very tricky for me talking about the game because... I, I like I definitely am excited for people to experience the story, but also I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, fair. that's very fair. There are twists and turns. Oh, oh. Well, I imagine people are going to want to experience that. So, when when is the game coming out? Do you know? Um, I think, or well, I don't know when this is coming out versus when we're going to announce the release date, but mid August. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Early to mid-August. So that's pretty soon. Very this soon. This is probably mid-August. Um, okay. Calendar math. We have a calendar maybe, math problem. Maybe it's show. out <laughs> now. Check, look it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Look up Anodyne 2 Return to Dust. It's on Steam and Itch and Cartridge and GOG. Stuff like that. All the things. All the things. Cool. Um, yeah. And our past games are around as well anodyne and even the ocean and yeah those are on switch too right um anodyne is out on consoles and even the ocean uh, is in the process of being ported well thank you so much for joining us yes (laughs) yes thank you so much yes thanks for having me it's great (laughs) uh that's our show if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Uh, Marina, will you leave a review and tell all your friends too? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host and nice guest, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 